you're listening to the Nightwork Pod. I'm Julius Caesar Macquarie and I'm an anthropologist. Nightwork Pod is a podcast about the invisible lives of night shift workers. In this episode, I reflect on the lessons learned whilst podcasting about experiences of London's other workers invested in the night shift. Though not exclusively, most of those people working the night shift are migrants and males. In this series, however, I try to address the gender-sensitive issues and show that in my research I have met and spoken to women as well as men. This is dependent of the job sector. I found that more men work in construction, bus driving, fire services as doormen, and also that women are working in ambulance services or supporting the marginalized people in addiction services or soup kitchens at night, but they remain largely unnoticed. Whilst in most part London is asleep at night, the other workers are up, yet they're invisible from the journal consciousness, out of political debates, and last but not least, from migration scholarship and from globalization and critical labor studies. Traditionally, and in colonial contexts, anthropologists studied the other in societies different from the Western civilization. The research behind this podcast series aligns with the efforts made by social scientists who study the other in our own Western societies. These other are more often than not labeled as migrants or marginalized groups from the majority and invisible from the eyes and minds of the latter. This kind of research emphasizes on entering and portraying the world from their own perspective of the people inhabiting the night whilst facing struggles or simply living on the opposite hours. The guests invited on the night work pod so far talked about their experiences, which I grouped in three themes. First is that night shift workers, migrants or locals, do something together but not with one another. Second, I found that night workers became this bioautomatons whose physical resources were depleted by the precarious working conditions. And third, by and large, the other workers who keep the city going round the clock are migrants invisible from the mainstream society. In the first episode of this series, anthropologist Herdeusings explained that there is an emphasis on journal methods in social science research. For this reason, he founded the Night Laboratory, a research blog exploring the political economy of the nocturnal city. The method that he and I used is reversing the classical approach to capture the lives of those awake and alert at night. <laughs> For months at a time, I have been exploring since 2012 how night workers live on opposite rhythms in a nocturnal city that never sleeps. Workers that I spoke to shadowed whilst working in the New Spitalfields night market, describes something that is at the same time universal and unique. Their stories share, to a degree, a sense of being invisible. For example, a hotel auditor in East London could never attend the Christmas Jews because the day staff always arranged these events in the evenings when he prepared for the night shift. His night manager, however, preferred to work at night because he was able to take care of their children, take them to school, pick them up from school in the afternoons. He saw his wife for two hours a day and still managed to have a few hours sleep before the night shift. We heard in episode two a similar story from Phil, a firefighter born and bred in London. He was also involved in the upbringing of his two boys, though due to the nature of his job was unable to be present at all important moments in his children's lives, like school parents' meetings or birthdays. I found across the board 
that night workers were not equally concerned about the impact of night shift work on their health. Though they spoke about how little sleep they got before night shift, they did not see it as a cause for depleting their bodily resources over time. I began to form an idea that is best illustrated through the model of a bioautomaton. Bioautomatons are human bodies traveling at night to work and often commuting when the rest of the city sleeps. They have limited routes of transport and modes of travel through the city. Besides of long hours of traveling, the night shifts often extend beyond the legally allowed 8 to 12 hours per night. Yet, managing authorities do not inspect as expected how many hours the workers travel on a particular site. They also do not intervene on sites where privately owned businesses exploit the bodies turned into what I call bioautomatons. For example, in the eight months of loading fruits and vegetables, I accumulated pains and sores in my body that would last long after I finished my doctoral fieldwork in 2015. Many of my co-workers also complained of physical pains. I saw it as a consequence of intensified labor. The long night shift hours that stretched into the day and sometimes till noon combined, the physicality of manual labor would cause men and women to leave the market and take a break to rest. That was a strategy that only worked for the workers that had reserves. However, many were migrants and in most cases, they were the only breadwinners. The rest of the family depended on their remittances, if abroad, or to cover household expenses if the whole family lived in the UK. These workers do not have health insurance, annual leave, or sick pay to cover their absence from work. Soon, they would return to the market and to the bioautomaton life, that is, working on 11 to 16 hours shifts, six nights a week, paid under the minimum wage and without any contractual security. The latter, however, is a very present theme among the precariat. The precariat is a term coined by sociologist Guy Standing, describing a group of people in precarious working and living conditions, alienated from the rest of society, living with anger, anxiety, and despair. The four A's that he ascribed are A for anxiety, A for anger, A for anomie, and A for alienation. I think the four A's apply to many bioautomatons working the night shift. Precarious working conditions do not limit to night shift work sectors, let's be clear about that. White-collar workers in many fields are subject to fragmentation in zero-hour contracts or flexi-short-term contracts and poorly remunerated. Hence, a lecturer in Budapest on a short-term one-year contract cannot accept a teaching fellowship which entails that she flies to the US every two weeks to teach when her salary does not even cover her kids' nursery fees. That is why I think we're living in a neoliberal context that invades the lives of precarious workers who cannot buy solutions, like in the example of the mother and lecturer that I've just given. Though precarious too, this type of concerns are of similar importance but of different qualitative nature. That means in fragmented working environments you find fragmented workers alienated from those working on long-term contracts and whilst working together on short-term projects. That does not mean that they work with one another. Because working on short-term projects does not produce long-term relationships of cooperation. Some women working the night shift, for example, told me that they feel isolated from the journal society, that they don't fit in that society. And so they chose to work at night. And they find that working at, ni at the night market is more than making coffee sales. It has a social dimension because working at night is often thought for the lonely 
persons, she says. She met many men working at night whose wives broke up their marital relationships because their men were never at home. In her role as a waiter, many men would come to her to talk about their intimate experiences. I too found that cleaners in Victoria Station or a Tesco night manager coming out of the shop for a cigarette break or a hotel receptionist bored uh, when we walked in and during our night laboratories in London. We talk about their intimate lives for hours in detail. More often than not, this was the rewarding part of doing research at night, having a peek into the invisible lives of people otherwise remaining unseen. It is a privilege which I have felt during the nocturnal research, which otherwise is a lonely experience. In the second episode, Georgina Perry, a public health practitioner, remembers that London used to sleep two decades ago. Not nowadays. London's rhythms beat 24-7. The beat is kept in tune by the night workers who ensure that underground trains run smoothly at night for the nightlife goers and revelers traveling to the West End entertainment venues where artists and bartenders keep the shows going. These people who work on various shifts like Phil, the firefighter, who reported that they never got used to working the night shift. Though night work requires a greater investment by the workers, awake and alert at night than the ones working in the day, Phil thinks that remuneration often does not meet the expectations and the sacrifices that they make in order to better their lives to keep the city alive during the night. I found during my doctoral research that there are gross inequalities thriving among night workers, which remain unaddressed by local authorities. The Greater London Authority has only recently commissioned research projects run by its economics department to establish the issues around night shifters and their working conditions. But the research lacks in specific demographics about night workers. Questions such as why and who are these people up and working at night remain unanswered. Scholars like Dr. Marion Roberts, Emeritus Professor in Urban Design, has conducted many projects on London's evening and nighttime economy. She brings to light many issues that are under-researched, such as gender equality reporting and health and pay gap inequalities. My specialist research interests are the nighttime city and also gender issues in urban design. I've been doing various research projects on the nighttime city since 2001-2002. 
Currently, she serves on the Board of Data and Research Subcommittee of the Greater London Authority, the subcommittee on London's nine-time commission. In her own words, Dr. Roberts says that there, there needs to be an increase in awareness. Um, there's also issues about um, other workers who work in the public services, um, and these are not only highly paid doctors, but they're um, nurses who have reasonable levels of pay, but the hospital cleaners. They also suffer from poor working conditions, poor levels of unionization, particularly if they're migrant workers. And, um, you know, this is as they really need more support. In making this series of podcasts about working the night shift, I aim to raise awareness of issues that need addressing in a 24-7 society the podcast series follows my efforts to disseminate the findings via conferences, working papers and journal articles. I also use documentary making tool to reach out to political actors, policymakers and stakeholders who have the power to improve the lives of night workers and the issues around isolation, health inequalities, fragmentation and lack of cooperation amongst night shift workers to unionize and demand their rights to decent work. As well as the two short films, this podcast series aims to raise awareness among the non-academic audiences, the critical public. The public needs to know that nightlife goers choosing to move across London at night with Uber paying only £30 only happens because these drivers accept below fair and just working conditions and poorer pay. Equally, the local authorities and large institutions need to hire less agencies and bring in-house workers on direct employment contract. For example, more campaigns like the one at Goldsmith University to bring cleaners in-house on direct contracts that offer proper working conditions similar to staff universities should follow suit. And to redress the balance between the negative and positive aspects of nighttime economy expansion in London, the local authority needs to take lead in reinstating the rights of workers that keep the city going round the clock. Also, as Dr. Marion Roberts says, expanding art house cinemas across London is terrific, but the negative side is that it happens at the expense of workers' pay, which is poor, and who are currently in dispute with the respective establishments. Last but not least, a positive message for London residents is that safety of the city uh, is offered not only during the day but also at night, despite of some feeling uneasy during darkness. To all listeners of the Night Work Pod, London is an open city, not only to the young night revelers and party goers, but also to other ages willing to venture into its nocturnal rhythms. To the day creatures listening to this podcast, I would like to close this episode and the series by reminding them of an old saying in the new context of nocturnal cities, the cities that never sleep. It is no longer the early bird that catches the worm, but the sleepless one. In this vein, the price paid by the armies of sleepless workers highlights gross inequalities between day and night workers. Gender gaps in both pay and access to job sectors commonly thought as male-dominated. You've been listening to The Night Work Pod, a podcast about work in the night shift. Nightwork Pod is produced by me, Julius Caesar Macquarie. I created the first series of Nightwork Pod between London and Budapest. Please tune in for our next series in which the people working the night shift meet the researchers and writers who explore those lives. If you like what you have heard, there are a few ways that you can help me out. First, tell all of your friends in real and digital form 
journal or nocturnal about the show. Read the transcripts on cupodcast.com where Nightwork Pod episodes are hosted and review the show on Apple Podcast. You can support the show financially by going to nightsparks.london and click give to donate or support my show. You can contact me via the nightsparks.london website or Facebook page at Nightsparks Lab. Thank you for listening.